listening to Female VC Lab, a podcast that showcases the journeys of female investors. My name is Barbara Bickham, and I am an award-winning CTO and VC that teaches companies and investors about emerging technology. I am sitting down with female VCs and investors to talk about their funds, how they invest, and how they make an impact. Welcome to the Female VC Lab podcast. I am here with Zhijia. And in one line, give me your name, your title, and the name of your fund. All right. So I'm Xiaojing Chan. I go by my initials XJ. And yes, and I'm, I'm an angel investor since 2016. And I have founded and currently run a venture investment platform. We're also a venture capital firm. Wonderful. So what inspired you to become an investor or a venture capitalist? So in 2016, I was really uh, enamored in the blockchain technology and the promise that to democratize financial institutions. And that, that was very alluring technology overall. And so my investment thesis is now I'm a female founder, I am 100% on investing investing in female founders. Okay, that's great. So that's... Is that what inspired you to become a VC, help the, the overlooked and untapped female founders? Absolutely, absolutely. So as a female founder, when I was raising funds, I had personal experience with the bias in the industry. So it took me double the time to raise a quarter of the average seed round. So on average, founders, it would take founders about 40 meetings with investors to close a seed round of on average of 2 million. Mm -hmm. And so it, and we were in, and I and, and my startup, we were in a couple of accelerators, and I was always the only female founder. Wow. And the programs, I know that our technology, our product market fit uh, was not inferior, but we were always the last one to secure funding wow. in, in, in the cohort. So it became a personal mission to help fellow female founders race. Oh, that's wonderful. Clearly, that's a little bit of the motivation behind your thesis. But what is your thesis exactly? What is your investment thesis um, for your fund? So I think, in my opinion, I think this gender injustice in venture capital is the biggest problem of humankind. It is the biggest hindrance to betterment. Uh, as a species because like we talked about before diverse founders builders make better products 
and services. And it's not just femtech. It's not just female women uh, make better products for women, but women make better products overall. Mm -hmm. And we know this by, for example, by studies that as an investor, investing in women is just better business because we, if from 2019 to 2020, PitchBook has reported the number of female-led exits went up 16%. Male-led, the number of male-led exits dropped 2%. Now, the value as an investor, we care about our returns. Correct. The value of female-led exits went up 30% from 2019 to 2020. In the meantime, the value of male-led exits dropped 44%. So investment in women is just better business. Those are some amazing statistics, XJ. Those are amazing statistics. I'm glad you pointed that out because I think sometimes those quantifiable numbers are very powerful. And everybody doesn't always have PitchBook or some of these other prequins or some of these other great reporting tools that have that wonderful information. And so thanks for pointing that out. I think that's a very critical piece of information. So as an investor, we often hear data-driven investment decisions, correct, correct. value-driven investment decisions. Yes. And, 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 and this, there, you are. there you go. You have it. Right it's, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Outside of PitchBook reports, what are you currently learning or listening to or reading these days? I have, I've been perusing the new, the latest uh, research on neuroscience. So I've been hmm. experimenting with binaural um, beats. Yeah, those uh, are great. the binaural yeah. beats are so great. If yeah. you understand what that is, I use those absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The frequency and it's the frequency yeah. and sound and how does it resonate? Because yeah. some of the binaural bi- beats don't work for me. And I'm like, I can't play this one, but mm. other ones play, but it, it all has to do with the frequency and sound. And then how does your body resonate with that? It's Absolutely. So I've also been doing this one person experiment. I've been experimenting mm. with different waves, different frequencies, hoping to instigate alpha. I'd say we, we, we really want to get to the alpha waves. Mm. And as a supplement, this is not to replace my regular meditation or yoga practices, but it's it's a great supplement. So I'd be like doing emails and I'd be playing pure binaural beat. And I, I, that's how I yeah. use it as well. As in the background is music or and if I'm feeling a little like I need to get re-energized, I'll kind of put it on. Or I have other ones that I do that I'll put on that gives you energy. You kind of got to, it is, it, it's weird because it is kind of personalized which yeah. is very strange, but there's a lot of good, good, good uh, music like that on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I find it helps with my sleep as well. It, it um, yes, increases absolutely. deeper sleep. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been a big fan of binaural beats. And I've also been, what, what I'm listening to other stuff is I've been relearning to play the piano. That's great. I used to play as a kid, but then turned more into sports. And, and now I, I find it very effective in stress management. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another calming. Music can be very calming or yes. very energizing or very music has emotion. Music can carry many emotions. So, you know, piano could be very exciting. It could be sad. It could be happy. It could be multiple things. 
Yeah. Yes. All right. So here it comes. XJ, the bonus question. In two years, when we're talking again, but hopefully we're talking before then, how do you see investing or venture capital changing or evolving? I, I am observing a hybrid, more and more institutional investors taking on a hybrid approach and making the and making their investment decisions. When I say hybrid, <clears throat> well, venture capital, the asset since its inception in, in, in the 40s, has not really has not really had any innovation. Our process screening due diligence is is manual and cumbersome. And I see, but I'm observing more and more investors taking a a data-driven approach. For example, we have developed and and launched a machine learning algorithm that predicts investment risk. And we're... Yeah. And and we're not the only ones. And and so this this is more what I'm talking about, the digitization of VC. Mm-hmm. Where yes, use junior yes, use analysts to inform final investment decisions, right. but also take into account evaluation of, uh, and data, and, and this is very helpful in eradicating the bias in the industry. Yes, and then uh, from what else you just said, if you're using kind of machine learning AI, like your scalability is greater. Most people don't think about how would I scale to become like an Andreessen Horowitz if that's what you want it to be. How would you do that if you had to, what, hire a thousand animals? Like, it doesn't make sense. So how do you do this at scale and still keep yourself lean without having to raise, you know, a billion, two billion, five billion dollar fund and have all these hundreds of, you know, thousands of analysts? That kind of makes no sense. Because also, if you think about the data, we talked a little bit about PitchBook, but there's Prequin, there's Crunchbase, there's all these different access to data. How do you integrate that, aggregate that, make it all in one place? And a a person doesn't need to go through all that. A computer can do it. So I think 100% agree with you that the data, the more, if you really want to be data driven or more data decision made, then have the AI do a lot of it. It's not going to do all of it. And then maybe it surfaces some things. Maybe it notices some things, right? Hey, we haven't done this. Like invested in this kind of thing for a while. Why? Then you can ask why. You can ask, you know, then the person asks why. But I mean, from a scaling side, that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And to add on to that, it would take I, the most important figure in venture investing would argue, arguably be the evaluation. Now, it would take an analyst about a week, I'd yeah. say, to, 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 to come about up with, 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 with a valuation range. But it only takes our valuation calculator to spit out three different valuation from three different valuation methods in in three seconds. Like I said, from a scaling side, you've created like that's a massive velocity, like a speed up, like the speed up of, of that. So look at how many more companies you could look at as well. You know what I'm saying? It's the things that you're missing is because you're spending a lot of manual time doing some of these things. And maybe spitting out that in three seconds, clearly you can you know, multiply that across multiple companies. Let's say you were evaluating 100 or 200 or even 500 companies a month. Really, the time save on that is like massive. 
Absolutely. So the top of the funnel, we'd be able to massively enlarge it so we can right. consider more deals. Absolutely, more deals. And you can make better decisions on deals. And then the other thing you'll have is you have a good cross-section of different types. Of, I don't know what all the data you're collecting, but you, know, you could find out are there really what's really the disparity of diverse people and what's really the disparity of women because you have all these other great statistics. So why is it, why does it take 80 meetings and you only get half the money, a million bucks, right? Why is that? You can yeah. start looking at these other problems. Yeah. So we still focus on quantitative data. So they're mostly financials, but they're also, but we also focus on the team, which is more 100%. qualitative data. And this is actually the, I'd say the future where the future is, where we can turn unstructured qualitative data, for example, team due diligence, mm -hmm. we turn mm -hmm. that into structured data where we can compare teams, for example. That could um, be powerful. Yes. That could be very powerful. Because you're right, you're going to do some qualitative analysis because it, in the end, you're investing in people, right? Yes. So you have to look at the team, how they gel, how they execute. They're just some things you can't, the data is not going to tell you, right? Yes. But yeah. some other things data can inform you of. So, yeah. you know, I agree. It'll, it'll be a balance. Yeah. So right now we know, right now we, we're already using data about, about the team, for example. Are they domain experts? How long have the co-founders have the founder, have been the together? Been together? together? Things of yeah. that nature, yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. how, they how do they execute? That's a little bit hard. That's a quantitative measure, but it's a little bit hard yeah. and it's harder. Yeah. But like All you right. said, you're going to write that into some type of something and try and pull some information out of there. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We're also uh, keeping a very close eye on the latest entrepreneurship research. So, for example, what characteristics are common to the most two successful founders? Um, what kind of outliers? The college dropouts. Both, both sides, right? You got yeah. the super mega outlier here. You got the super mega outlier here. So, Yeah. And, and this for the machine right now, the machine can't read this. But this is what mm -hmm. our, not yet. And this <laughs> is where... Yet. <laughs> exactly. This is where our R&D is uh, heading towards. Yeah, you know what was interesting, though? I, I like how you brought this up. I think it's powerful for a fund to have its own IP. I think it, it's important to have that because what other value do you have outside of just being able to find things? Picking is one, selecting is one, but then also having this breadth of kind of IP that you're creating to kind of automate things and help things along. I think that's very powerful. And I think it also opens up the industry to more diverse people, female VCs, female associates, people of color VCs and associates. And I say this because we know that less than 3% of women VCs are founding partners. And founding partners hold the biggest check writing power. Yeah, they, and yeah that's true. So most decision makers in venture capital are men, white men. And this, again, in my opinion, is the biggest problem um, we have. And by, but by turning this know-how, this secret uh, this magic sauce 
into an IP where I'm really looking forward to democratizing the industry. Yeah, sounds good. So how do people contact you? LinkedIn would be the best, but also if you go on our website, you email me and then we're, we're also on Twitter. I'm also on Twitter. These are all channels to, to reach me. Wonderful. Thank you so much, XJ from VenturePole for being our guest. Real pleasure, Barbara. The Female VC Lab podcast. Thank, Thank you, Barbara. You. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Trail and Ventures. Find and invest in the next billion dollar emerging tech company. Sign up for our exclusive content at https colon slash slash trailin T-R-A-I-L-Y-N.com to find out more. Find us on Apple, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening.